0: You are listening to Beyond the Jargon, a jargon-free look at graduate students and their research journeys here at UVic. Welcome to Beyond the Jargon. I'm your host, Liz MacArthur. Joining me today, David Christopher, PhD candidate here at the University of Victoria in history and art, but also cultural and or culture and cinema.
1: That's right. Uh,
0: thank you for being my guest today. It's nice to have you here.
1: Thanks, Liz, very much for having me.
0: Um, I was. I always read a little bit about my guests before they come in, mm-hmm. and I have to say you have a pretty extensive uh, academic career so far, yes. lots of degrees, so um, <laughs> uh, you, you've been part of the Academy for a while, but uh, t- let's talk about what you're specifically focusing on here at UVic.
1: Okay, well, I've been at UVic for a while, but uh, currently... Um I'm working, as you said, with, with cinema under uh, Dr. Leanne McClarty in the History and Art Department. She's, she's an expert in cinema. She, she was publishing in, in um, such you know renowned Canadian uh, books as Take Two as early as 1986. Uh, she deals with feminism, postmodernism. Um, <clears throat> and, and cinema theory in general. She, she gives a, a wide range of courses. And, and under her tutelage, I'm focusing on uh, the Toronto New Wave. These are, are directors like Jeremy Padueza and uh, Don McKellar, um, and their apocalyptic films in, in particular. That's my current focus, but I mean, I, I'm not even... I'm not even focusing on that right now. Right now, I'm doing comprehensive examinations. So, right, right. Uh, but I'm actually in the middle of my Canadian cinema history comprehensive examination. So, it's it's timely in that regard.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Um, that's interesting I don't know anything about the directors you just named Um,
1: that would make you Canadian
0: right yeah (laughs) yeah this is the thing I mean we live in Canada I uh, former job different radio station I worked at there was a show where they reviewed movies and I remember saying to somebody that I had been watching a lot of foreign films lately, mm-hmm. and the guy who hosted the show was saying, well, 90% of what you watch is foreign films because we're not American. You probably watch a lot of Hollywood stuff, which I thought, yeah, that's true. I don't watch a lot of Canadian films, I don't think.
1: I don't think, uh, in terms of mainstream culture, a lot of people do. Uh, uh, one of the, the common criticisms of, of Canadian film is that it's really popular in the academy. Um, it's it's uh, always suffered from not finding a domestic audience. This this is the the swan song of, of Canadian cinema history, going back uh, into the earliest parts of the 20th century. The, the negotiations that the government made with uh, um, Hollywood or, or with the American government, variously, uh, were never really uh, uh, the types of negotiations that that fostered a, a domestic industry. It, it's easy to say that. Um, You know, they negotiated poorly, but but they didn't negotiate poorly. They made decisions that seemed timely, uh, but in effect killed our our cinema industry, at least for public distribution. Even today, there's substantial American control of Canadian cinema um, for exhibition. That's the theatres I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. But underneath all of that, we have a, a rich and interesting and in some ways substantially socialist uh, uh, cinema tradition here in Canada. I mean, I'm sure you've heard of the National Film Board of yeah, Canada. Yeah. Everyone has heard of that. If you were a kid and you went to a museum, you know, you're at least familiar with the National Film Board. We have a, a, an amazing uh, canon of Canadian cinema. And uh, out of that uh, organization, of course, uh, we have a wide range of narrative cinema. And as we approached the, the 21st uh, century um, and moving into the new millennium, we've got a wide range of of young, exciting filmmakers um, who are doing amazing things, and they've made some amazing films. In fact, a lot of the films that you probably think are American are actually Canadian. Uh, mm. You know, The, the Sweet Hereafter is a, is a famous film by Adam McGoyan, mm. of course, a Canadian film. Last Night by Don McKellar, a Canadian film. Um, and then there's the highly commercialized ones that that were sold in the American markets. Porky's is actually a Canadian film. Mm. Meatballs is a, a Canadian film. Um, these are the types of Canadian films that have traditionally sort of effaced the Canadian presence in order to, to try and Um, attract an American distribution market or because this was required by the American powers who were involved in production. But we also have a a, a strong Canadian tradition where effacing Canada uh, is not part of the agenda, although it tends to be ironic, that's one of the the catchphrases to discuss Canadian, catch words to discuss Canadian cinema, Mm -hmm. and uh, Mm self-denigrating, a little bit self-denigrating, which I think is is a function of our cultural position, at least in the global market.
0: Mm Yeah. Uh, so what's so appealing to you about the, the two directors specifically that you mentioned and the films of theirs that you're looking at?
1: I, I have to be honest, they were the, the first two off the top of my head from the reading I did ten minutes before I came in here. Right. <laughs> I, um, so, but I will admit that McKellar... Don McKellar is of particular interest to me. You know, typical of a lot of Canadian talent, he straddles the border. Um, he moves back and forth between American productions but unlike uh, um, and Canadian productions, unlike certain uh, uh, famed Canadians like Jim Carrey or Mike Myers, you know, he's amongst a group of, of actor, director, filmmakers who, who straddles the border back again. You know, he, he comes back, and a lot of his work is made in Canada and uh, has certainly a, what might be called a, a Canadian inflection. And what I observed in, in the Toronto New Wave, you know, D- Deepa Mehta is considered part of the uh, Toronto New Wave. Same, same with Bruce MacDonald. These are other big-name Canadian filmmakers. Um, so you're talking, you, uh, there's one article by uh, Piers Handling available online which which says there's no real unity to this group they sort of were educated in the 80s in Toronto Mm -hmm. not even at the same institution necessarily and they started to make uh, their reputations in the late 80s and the early 90s um, and he claims there's there's not a lot of unity another another writer um, David Pike claims that there is some kind of a unity amongst this group called the Toronto New Wave um, although he's, he's vague about it. And I observed that a lot of, not a lot of, a, a percentage of them, I found seven or eight, and there's about 20 of them uh, in the population, uh, cut their teeth or made their reputations on cinema that specifically deals with apocalypse. And, of course, apocalypse is a rising aesthetic in terms of popularity. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the new millennium, you know, we're facing new types of apocalypse. The, the American movies of the late 90s, the cycles which sort of displaced responsibility for inevitable apocalypse onto, you know, interstellar. Uh, phenomena, or um, uh, you know, global globalization changes, um, and always American ingenuity was the, was the solution with with sort of ludicrous, impossible spacecraft that could land on on meteors and, and uh, that type of thing. the The Canadian apocalypse movies, typical of of a long history of of sort of Canadian nihilism in cinema. Um, they're not quite so. uh uh, jubilant in a faith in the american industrial project to sort of save the world Mm -hmm. uh last night for example is is a a tongue-in-cheek ironic sort of fun social drama um counting down the last hours to the the end of the world, there's no uh, specific indication how the world is going to end. This is a 1998 film uh, participating from Canada with this late '90s cycle of American films. It it seems to be um, you know a heavenly object of some kind. Uh, uh, at, late at night, there's no darkness. We, some some maybe some sort of a a sun uh, flare or something like that. Mm-hmm. But there's no uh, hint in the narrative of anyone trying to avert. with some sort of ludicrous fantasy of of industrial might. Uh, Everyone is just sort of figuring out how they're going to spend the last hours of their lives. And uh, it has a lot of uh, subtle comic moments. Uh, A typical Canadian male lead who is uh, sort of weak and sort of quirky uh, played against, that's Don McKellar playing in his own film, uh, against Sandra O. who is another straddle-the-border, mm. uh, um, but who has located herself substantially in America more than uh, than uh, McKellar has located himself back here in Canada. And, of course, she's such a brilliant actress and, and such a strong actress. Of course, she's uh, the stronger presence, uh, although uh, more... Uh, melodramatic, more emotional, where he is more quirky, dealing with a, sort of an inverted masculinity. A lot of, of tropes here, right? I mean, a mm-hmm. lot of conventions going on, and um, they they count down to the the end of the world, and it ends. I mean, as far as we know, right. it, it's a fade to to wash at the end, and mm-hmm. and it's one of a whole series. You know, you've got um, guys like Bruce LaBruce, for example, who whose work was banned um, because it's it's uh, effectively uh, uh, homosexual pornography, gay porn, mm. um, but of course it's so much more than that. I mean, it's this is really rich social commentary. He, he's got <clears throat> a couple of films about um, zombies, homosexual zombies, gay zombies. Um, one of them is, is a really uh, art house avant-garde piece. The first one, I can't even remember the name. It's the name of the character who uh, may or may not be a zombie. He's convinced that he is. Um, and, and, of course, there's a lot of meta cinema going on. He stars in a film in the film, um, and it makes a lot of, of really great social commentary. He followed that up, LeBruce did, several years later with uh, another piece um, called L.A. Zombie which is much, uh, uh, it's stylized in a, in a very different way. And it's set in, in L.A., uh, it's unabashed about showing sort of the detritus side of the glamorous city that American films are not renowned for. I'm not saying they don't exist, but of course that's not what uh, mm-hmm. uh, how they've made their reputation. And uh, he, he moves in and out, the, the main lead character moves in and out of a number of strange uh, demon zombie-like characters as he engages in uh, one after another homosexual gay experience. Um, but it, it, And there's almost no dialogue in the film, and, yeah. but it's, it's just rich in meaning. Although the critics kind of panned it compared to his first one. It doesn't appear to be as sophisticated, but you know, when you're dealing with zombies, you, you are at least peripherally in the apocalypse genre. Uh, right, uh, um, my advisor, Dr. McClarty, she she insists that apocalypse is a subcategory of horror, and uh, uh, there's there's sound reason to to make that assertion. Um, although I think that apocalypse uh, has developed into uh, its own genre. You know, genre is not a great way to to delineate the aesthetics or or certainly the cultural significance or or. Um, critical significance of a film, uh, except to locate it, you know, maybe temporally and aesthetically. It gives you sort of a, a foundation to work with. Um, but I'm claiming in, in my contemporary work that, that there is an apocalyptic aesthetic unique to Canada.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Why? Why, do we, why are we so um, involved in this apocalypse? Or, as you mentioned before, Canadian nihilism in film. Like, what's that about? Why are we so dark? <laughs> you know,
1: I wish I could tell you. I, I grew up a pretty happy kid, as far as I know. You know, Canada is, uh, uh, again, as far as I know, reputed as being clean and, and generally friendly. You know, there's the, the old stereotype of if you're an American traveling in Paris, make sure you have a maple leaf on your shirt, because then you'll get... Better service. Uh, I don't know that that's true. I can't. I can't <laughs> speak to that. But um, you know, I think that uh, a lot of the the critics. I'm not making this claim myself, but it's, it seems like it's it's an astute understanding. Um, a lot of the critics uh, or theorists that have examined Canadian cinema um, have looked at our, our uh, position as you know Northrop Frye, uh, um, Atwood. She, she says that uh, uh, survival and colonialism. Um, but this might be a colonial footprint that is somewhat dated in the 21st century. Most of the people I know um, have uh, the urban experience as their childhood, or at least the suburban experience, you know. And films like, uh, um, uh, there's a werewolf film with a couple of, of young girls, Ginger Snaps, deals with, um, at the outset, it, it sort of criticizes the, the suburban myth of security. But this is not unique to Canada. Uh, criticizing the suburban myth in horror film is it may well be ascribed to american conventions at the outset but uh you know our position is as doubly colonized it's called you know originally we have the colonial footprint from uh, uh the, the british heritage uh and then we have a, a a dominating even invasive american media presence like you and i have have laughed about my experience with media as a child was was less uh, Canadian programming—it was less Mister Dressup and it was more Sesame Street. Uh, you know, we are uh, largely indoctrinated on American uh, popular cinema, perhaps more than television, but uh, uh, certainly we are. And I think that that position—you uh, know—if you are in an industry that is always already sort of in a, a marginal position, perhaps a subservient position and some of the producers even a sycophantic position against the, the, the more powerful uh, American media. Um, and you have a, a cultural heritage that, that dates back to sort of a, um, a deferral to colonialism. You know, the Americans, at least historically, have their moment of emancipation. You know, mm-hmm. we, we sort of said, oh, you know, we'll, we'll stay a colony. And then I think it was in the 70s that Trudeau brought back the, uh, um, the Constitution. That was not a celebrated uh, moment in Canadian history. I remember it happening. I think I was about seven years old. And, mm-hmm. and I, I thought, you know, uh, I remember asking my mother, what's going to change? You know, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Great, is there is there cake? You know, okay, so forget it. I don't care. I'm seven. Uh, and so I think a lot of these things. And, and then, you know, as a filmmaker working under those conditions, I think that that identity crisis mm-hmm. uh, finds, you know, aesthetic expression in our film, that coupled with the fact that low budgets, uh, poor backing, the knowledge that you're not going to get any sort of distribution, mm-hmm. uh, I think this creates sort of an underdog nihilistic uh, uh, mentality amongst filmmakers. That's a broad generalization. I don't mean to suggest there's no levity, there, there's no buoyancy. You know, Last Night is an apocalypse film, uh, like I mentioned, with substantial buoyancy. You'll laugh as you're being painfully disturbed by the, the narrative that you watch, mm-hmm. Um and I think that uh, the social uh, agenda, which is, is typical of documentary film, and because we had such a strong documentary tradition out of the National Film Board of Canada from, from 1939, when Grierson was, was put in place as a... Uh, a supervisor more than, than a filmmaker, although he ended up taking on that role. And then uh, uh, as one of our Canadian heroes in terms of film, he, of course, wasn't Canadian, he was Scottish. This is another colonial, typical con- colonial footprint in our mm-hmm. identity. And then he, for all intents and purposes, you know, left the country under the Igor Gizenko scandal, You mm-hmm. know, being cl- called a communist at, at the at time of high tensions following the World War, the Second World War. And that documentary tradition of, of social realism and and uh, uh, social indoctrination, always having a message, that's kind of nihilistic. I, I mean, you know, there's there's not much value in a, a social realist film which is celebrating how wonderful capitalism is. Right. I mean, that's that's called an American fantasy. Generally, that's called American fantasy, although we have Canadian fantasies that are, are like that as well. And so uh, these are some of the the greatest hits amongst the theorists that have sort of resolved, I think, into a, 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 a proud celebration of our our nihilism and our, our marginal positioning as, as a cinema industry. And I think that uh, the younger filmmakers... You know, um, like, like McKellar, Sarah Pauly, mm-hmm. um, uh, um certainly Jeremy Podweza who's done a lot of work uh, uh, directing American television. He directed an episode of um, Who's the Who's this the serial killer? Who's a, a police officer? Do you know this television? Oh,
0: Dexter. Dexter. He yeah. d- he
1: directed an episode of of Dexter, and uh, um, of course Adam McGoyan who's who might not be called a young filmmaker anymore, but he he's done some wonderfully buoyant things with incredibly nihilistic narratives. And and then you, you take Cronenberg, you know, who's, who's in some ways the uh, um, epitome of Canadian film in a number of ways. One, he's in a medium which is considered entirely not Canadian, uh, at least his early stuff, a horror film which was frowned upon. Another one of the uh, uh, big famous uh, critics in, in the the 60s and 70s, when Cronenberg when was making his name, a guy named Delaney um, uh, made his reputation by uh, publishing an article. I think the title of it was, uh, You Should Know How Bad This Film Is After All You Paid For It, because Cronenberg yeah. was making films with Canadian um, uh, public funding. Shivers, though, was, was a great film with, mm. with a lot of satire and irony. It's, it's as satirical as it is. Scary, if it's scary at all, it's apocalyptic. At the end, <laughs> of course, it's got an aperture where, where obviously the uh, the virus is going to spread into greater Montreal and presumably the rest of the world. It's it's an early uh, uh, sort of uh, change or twist on the zombie narratives, which had not even come into their own uh, except um, with uh, who's the famous zombie guy? Oh. <sighs> God, my, my, so bad with things. yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm at a loss in in the middle of an interview. But um, uh, you know, he Cronenberg was a Canadian version of establishing mm-hmm. these these conventions, and and there's a lot of fun in these movies. Um, but some of the critics say, you know, you'd only get it if you're Canadian, and otherwise, uh, mm-hmm. I can't remember the name of the critic who says it. But uh, it says uh, there's a lot of fun in Canadian films, sure, but otherwise we make uh, sad, pathetic films that nobody anywhere else would ever want to see. <laughs> Um, Although we have huge popularity in the international film festivals.
0: This was uh, something I was uh, thinking about here. You know, we talk about, or you were mentioning, like, you're not going to get distribution, there's these low budgets. As Canadians, people aren't even aware of your film. uh, So, who do Canadian filmmakers make films for? Is it people in the academy that are are studying them, or, yeah, international film festivals?
1: You know, the the Canadian government made a lot of changes in, in the. The twilight years of the 20th century and there's been a, a tectonic shift in um, the possibilities for distribution and a part of that is playing into the fact that american distribution is slowly being sort of whittled away I mean, it's still dominant i don't mean to, to suggest hegemony is not in place it is but uh, um you know film festivals have been on the rise for for 20 years and canadian fair has typically been popular in film festivals and i think that that canadian filmmakers Uh, 30, 40 years ago, um, you know, not Cronenberg, who who obviously had a commercial agenda and succeeded, but he's an anomaly. Um, Filmmakers... Our Bruce Elder and um, the French unit at the NFB were making uh, uh, avant-garde, experimental, even narrative films that uh, I think they knew were either going to find local domestic markets popular in Quebec. Quebec certainly has Mm -hmm. a highly commercial self-sustaining industry, but it's insular, you Mm -hmm. know, bon cop, bad cop, went across the border. We all liked that. Uh, It was easier to enjoy if you were bilingual. (laughs) He <laughs> didn't have to have subtitles for the, the parts of the the film that were in French or English on the other side of the border. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, I think they were making uh, socialist films in in the following you know following the Gizenko uh, scandal. The NFB uh, acquired a reputation of being uh, either a mouthpiece for the Mackenzie King and Laurent governments, um, or for being communists and. Uh, well, this not unduly. I mean, they were making socialist films. Mean, communist doesn't carry with it the the red scare weight that, that it did in in the you know even as late as the 1980s. Now we think of communism as as a potential economic progression. You know, yeah. for for uh, uh, economic thinkers, I think. Um, but at that time, of course, communism was was a frightening notion and to be labeled as such was, you know, a suicide for American distribution, uh, most certainly. So I don't know who they expected to to market these films to, but uh, they're being recovered from uh, anonymity. From, from the annals of history where they I think they were sort of shelved and nobody thought they would ever be looked at. And now we're beginning to see some of the significance of these films as part of the larger political cultural milieu of things that were going on in the 60s and 70s. You know, we have the FLQ crisis in 1970. There was a huge fallout of cinema, especially in Quebec, that was obviously directly influenced by the, the political scars uh, uh, caused by such an event. Um, and then we have the contemporary filmmakers who, who are not afraid, of course, of, of the film um, festival circuit. I think that they identify with it substantially. It's part of a heritage, and, and because it's becoming so popular. But a lot of these films are getting public distribution. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the aesthetic uh, boundary, the American film is all fantasy and spectacle, the Canadian film is all social realism. I think these these boundaries... Under postmodernism, perhaps are becoming uh, blurred. You know, mm. there's so much uh, variety in, in any film. The Americans, it's not like they've never been making social realist films. They have a, a tradition. And and while Canadians are not renowned for for blockbuster special effects, um, you know, multi million dollar film projects are no longer uh, unheard of. Mm. You know, they're they're happening. So yeah. I think I think twenty years from now. Canadians will know Canadian films a lot better than they did 20 years ago.
0: Interesting. (laughs) Um, Are you among uh, a large group of people that study Canadian cinema? And are the people that do study Canadian cinema largely Canadian? Or are there people from outside that are interested in the stuff?
1: Yes and yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, I am amongst a large group of people uh, that uh, study Canadian cinema. I'm not like a lot of people who are still doing their, their academic work. Uh, I am substantially isolated. Uh, we tend to know each other through academic sharing technology online. Um, and I would hesitate to say that I'm contemporary with, with big names like you know, Brenda Longfellow, who, who is uh, uh, working I think in Ontario now. She's, she's published a number of pieces on Canadian film. And there's a whole range of, of Canadian, film uh, academes, I guess. Uh, But I won't really uh, enjoy that discourse until, you know, my my work is a little further along than it is. Mm -hmm. But I know there's a lot of them because I have to read all of their papers in order to participate, even at this level. And um, uh, yes, most of them are in Canadian universities, I would Mm -hmm. would say. Uh, Occasionally, there is an American Name that uh, is obviously interested in Canadian film, um, but for the most part, it's Canadians talking about Canadians. Mm-hmm. For the time being, yeah, you know, I think that we're making our mark on on the historical record, uh, um, and I think that uh, it will begin to, to garner increasing international attention or per- perhaps acclaim. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, in in the coming years, mm-hmm. I think it's happening. Yeah, yeah.
0: It's sort of, I mean, you see some Canadians becoming quite commercially successful Mm -hmm. and getting recognition at, say, like Oscars, awards, like big awards like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Is that really important, do you think, for Canadian cinema? Does that matter or should we just continue to to sort of do the stuff that we're good at and what we're kind of known for? You know, nobody wants
1: an award until they might win one.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. I, I, That's... I can't speak. I can't speak to that. I I don't know how how they feel. You know, in in interviews that you see with guys like Egoyan, McKellar, Pauly, they they seem pretty down-to-earth people. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think they get up in the morning looking for awards. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, But uh, are they important to them? Uh, Certainly, if you you were to wiki the names of any of the big Canadian, famed Canadian directors, Cronenberg through... uh, um, uh, Goyen McDonald Bruce McDonald um, you know they all have accolades uh, they all have the list of so obviously Canadian institutions are producing awards and, and a lot of these not a lot a number of these awards are also American so at some point somebody recognized them you know mm-hmm. um, so I don't I don't know I don't think the impetus for Canadian filmmaking is uh, glamour
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, okay. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think. But
1: mm-hmm. but uh, I would stand corrected by any one of the people for whom I'm, I'm speaking, mm-hmm. a little bit generally, uh, if any of them said, no, no, are you kidding me? I do this because I want an award. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just want everyone to know my name. <laughs> Could be.
0: Um, we're just about out of time here. Okay. Uh, this is a totally fascinating discussion. Thank you for coming by. Not at all. Um, How much longer do you think you're going to be working on your PhD? I got
1: about, I think, three... Maybe four, depends on how fast. Uh, You know, I wish I didn't even get a chance to talk with you my other fields. I worked Uh in, my first master's degree is in theater history. Mm -hmm. Uh, I did some work on the Cube Trilogy. Uh, That was initiated by a Canadian director named Vincenzo Natale. Um, and I wanted to talk about, you know, I have a family of seven kids. I want to tell you all sorts of personal stuff, but <laughs> Canadian film ends up dominating any conversation right. that I have. And I, I deal with Canadian horror film as well. I'm finishing my comprehensive examinations, uh, uh, so I'll be at that for another six months. Mm. And then dissertation, right? So yeah. um, uh, in a fantasy world, a year and a half to write that. In a, in a realistic world, three years. Mm. And then, uh, uh, so I would say I'm going to be here three and a half more years. Right. Yeah. Well, so I'll come back. Yeah, you know. come back and we'll talk about all those other <laughs> we'll things. We'll talk more. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you
0: so much for being my guest today.
1: Thank you very much. Right.
0: Thanks for listening to Beyond the Jargon. If you want to listen again, go to our website, cfuv.uvic.ca, and click on the Listen tab.